0: Hello, time travelers, and welcome back to Biblical Time Machine. I am one of your hosts, Dave Roos. I am a journalist. I am here with Helen Bond, professor of Christian origins at the University of Edinburgh. And today we are talking about the Kingdom of Cush. The Kingdom of Cush shows up in the Hebrew Bible in a few places, but we're talking about, you know, the historical Kingdom of Cush, But also about the sort of more modern conception of race and the Bible. Uh, Where do we get our ideas about sort of blackness in the Bible? This, this kind of mysterious uh, curse of Canaan, which some people call the curse of Ham. We're going to get to the, we're going to get into the history of the interpretation of this very confusing, uh, (laughs) this very confusing part of Genesis. Helen, is, is this anything that, that you've looked into before? I mean, I know you do mostly. New Testament stuff. So, have you had you heard of like the curse of Canaan or the curse of Ham?
1: I hadn't. Yeah. I hadn't at all heard of it. No. So, I'm very interested to hear um, what Stacey's got to say about this. But um, yeah, I mean, it's it's so strange because yeah, the Bi- like you say, the Bible just doesn't say very much at all about race, mm. and then and then we get into really strange things like you know this idea that that, that Jesus has blonde hair, blue mm. eyes, and we all you know all of these kind of completely. Um, baseless ideas about what people look like but no i mean i've got no idea about kush i know (laughs) i know it's one of those places those sort of biblical sounding places but as to where it is Mm. or um vaguely south um (laughs) i don't know yeah so interesting and i think we're going to get into the queen of sheba as well i know the queen of sheba makes one one of my personal favorites yeah (laughs) so um so interesting to to hear about her too.
0: So we uh, we spoke with Stacy Davis. Stacy is a professor and chair of religious studies and theology at Saint Mary's College, and Stacy wrote a very good book. It's called "This Strange Story: Jewish and Christian Interpretation of the Curse of Canaan from Antiquity to 1865." So, as we were just alluding to, there is this very confusing verse in Genesis that has been called the Curse of Canaan. And when she refers to 1865, she's referring to the idea that this verse was used as a biblical justification for the enslavement of black people. So, we're going to get to that. I want to shout out one of our Time Travelers Club members, Jeffrey Woodford. Jeffrey was one of the first to sign up. And if you want to be like Jeffrey, look in the show notes to today's episode and follow the link to the Time Travelers Club to learn about... All these sweet, sweet perks that you get for for supporting the show. But now let's get to our conversation with Stacey Davis about the ancient kingdom of Kush. Well, Stacey Davis, welcome to Biblical Time Machine.
2: Thank you for inviting me. I've never done anything like this before. Oh, I know. Wow. It's very
0: exciting. <laughs> I, 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 I'm gonna warn you right now, the paparazzi, it gets a little nuts. After the episode drops, they're outside your house. They're 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 hitting you up on social media. You'll I'm sure you'll do fine. Everyone else has done fine. Um all right, so, so today we are talking about the ancient kingdom of Cush. And I know that our our listeners, if if they've read the Hebrew Bible, they've they've come across this word before, but maybe remind us kind of what are some of the the major places that we encounter the, the kingdom of Cush and the people the the Cushites.
2: Yeah, and one of the, the tricky things is that in the actual biblical text, it doesn't always distinguish between land and people. Okay. So for the land of Cush, we get a lot of references in the prophetic texts, um, including Isaiah eleven, Isaiah eighteen. Um, Isaiah 37, which is pretty much an oracle. Um, You get mentions in Ezekiel 29 to 30. um, Nahum 3 mentions it. And also Zephaniah 3. For the people, you get the first mention of Cush um, basically in Genesis 10, which is a genealogy of Noah's sons. And then they later appear um, often in Isaiah. So, for example, chapter 20, chapter 43, um, chapter 45. And they're often a negative foil yeah. or a contrast to the Israelites. Okay. No.
1: But more often, more often they're just, they're uh, translated as Ethiopians, aren't they? Or Ethiopia? Is that where, where where does that come from? And 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 do we have any idea about sort of where they
2: actually were? And and that's the thing. The short answer is kind of not exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Hebrew Bible appears to be using. Kush to refer to any land south of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So it could be Ethiopia, but doesn't have to be, or could be Sudan. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's one of the reasons that translations will often substitute Ethiopia for Kush, but the new NRS view has finally stopped doing that. Mm-hmm. They're simply transliterating it to kind of let people know the place is uncertain. It's mm-hmm. basically any sub-Saharan African spot. And so by leaving it as Kush, it's a way of saying, all right, we don't know identically where this land was. So we're not going to assume that we do. So just wow.
1: somewhere a long way away, but so, sort of down south in Africa. Somewhere,
2: somewhere south of Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. Long way off. That's up. all you know.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Well, so I, I just, going back to the Bible for a second. Were there, are, do, are, do we introduce, are we introduced to any Cushite people? Are there any Cushite sort of characters in, in any of the stories we're familiar with in the Bible?
2: Yeah. Um, Numbers 12 is, is what is the one is one big one where Moses is sort of being dogged out a little bit by his, his siblings, Miriam and Aaron, because of the Cushite woman he married. Right. Oh. So they say, he married a Cushite woman.
3: That's all we know. That's all we know. <laughs> that, that,
2: that's all we know. So um, they have women. They, they have women.
0: <laughs> Wait, is this, um, is this who, not... So I know he marries a Medianite woman. Is this a different... Is this another one? Yes. the same one? Because okay.
2: it's a diff, it appears okay. to be a different woman, we uh. think. Because Zipporah is described as Midianite, right, in Exodus. Yeah. And then in Numbers, we have this Kushite woman who somehow shows up after Zipporah, we think. Hmm. And causes basically God to curse Miriam for stepping to Moses and suggesting oh. that he could not, you know, do whatever it was he wanted to do. The most interesting and probably ambiguous Cushite character, maybe, is Zephaniah one one. The prophet is called the son of Cushi. Oh. And so scholars have been debating for at least the last 50 years whether Zephaniah is a Cushite because hmm. to be called Zephaniah ben Kushi, Kushi is not typically a proper name, right? So is he the son of someone named Kushi or is he the son of a Cushite? And due to the ways in which um, darker-skinned people were portrayed or left out of biblical texts, For a long time, the assumption was it's got to be a proper name, but there's no other use of that as a proper Hmm. name. Hmm. So... (laughs) <laughs> oh,
1: interesting. But but does does the Bible specifically say that Kushites had dark skin? I mean,
2: where does that idea come from? No, and that's that's based on location, right? Mm. If uh, right, the okay. land is referring to folks south of Egypt, then mm. it's presumed that they are black. Mm-hmm. But it's not a substitute for that. Like it never says the Kushites were black people. Mm. It just says the Cushites were Cushites.
3: <laughs> right.
0: Well, that and that comes to a a larger question about sort of race and the hebrew bible is is the hebrew bible basically silent when it comes to the our modern idea of race
2: yeah because race is race is more of an early modern to modern construct you get discussions of color right um so, for example, you'll have Song of Songs 1-8, right? I am black and beautiful. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But, you, but that's not, the color references are not, they're value neutral for the mm. most part, mm. right? So, and even the Bible doesn't really use a color marker to describe Kushites. So all we know for certain is they are assuming that these folks are darker, perhaps, than the brown folks who were already existing (laughs) in Egypt and the ancient Near East, but everybody had pigment. Mm -hmm. And so the Bible is more likely to be critical based on how you were relating to Israel or how you were relating to God rather than what your color was. Um, That gets used much, much later.
1: There's that sort of weird bit in Jeremiah 13, isn't it, where he says, you know, can the Kushite change the color of his skin? But right. you don't know what... So presumably people know that Kushite people have a particular color, but it doesn't say what color or... I mean, does, do, do most people interpret that as black or or do we just don't know? It, it's
2: it's a reasonable assumption that they're dark, right? And so yeah. in context, the argument is the Israelites will be able to change their behavior with as much likelihood as a dark person will not be dark anymore right yeah, yeah. so it's not a criticism of the darkness it's this is fixed mm-hmm.
1: right, but it's something They're... that people know that that they you know they yes. have a they have a color, but it's not very clear what color
2: <laughs> right we we assume they are we assume they are darker than the yeah. Israelites, yeah. In other words, for that sort of comparison to work. Yeah.
0: Right. Now, you mentioned earlier that, that they, the the land of Cush shows up a lot in the, in the prophets, and that it's not usually a, a positive thing. Do we have an idea, you know, judging from when these prophets may have been writing, why, you know, was there some kind of historical reason they would have had a beef with uh, the Cushites, or what can we know about that?
2: It's most likely... um, So it's not so much that the Kushites were like enemies of Israel because those kingdoms would not have actually had much contact. What is probably getting the Kushites sort of the negative portrayal is the connection to Egypt. Hmm. Um, Kush had actually gained independence from Egypt, um, conquered Egypt in the 8th century BCE. Assyria, though, is going to conquer Kush in the 7th century BCE. And so the Israelites for a variety of reasons are not going to really be big fans of Assyria
3: right. <laughs>
2: since Assyria is going to take over the North and then make life miserable for the Southern Judeans. And so the Kushites are kind of functioning more as a foil, Like there's less of, we have historical beef with you and more of you are these other people down South somewhere of undetermined locations <laughs> that are, <laughs> that are basically the opposite of God's, you know, people who are Israel. Mm. And so it's part of the reason you see Cush and the Cushites mostly in those oracles against the nations because the prophets don't like any ancient Near Eastern nation that's not (laughs) Israel, right? Right. (laughs) So you get the oracles against Babylon, Assyria, Tyre and Sidon. And so Cush fits in with that. These are people who are not Israelites and therefore are not quite as good as the Israelites, and will be punished at some indeterminate date for something they may or may not have done.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's a very good summary of most of the Hebrew Mm. Bible. Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Can you tell I teach for a living? (laughs) Talk
0: talk about saving for an email or something. You could have done the whole thing right there.
2: (laughs) Just two
1: two sentences. So I know you've, you've written a book on this curse of Canaan or the curse yeah. of, of Ham in uh, Genesis 9. So that's such a strange thing, though, isn't it? Can you tell us about that and, and, and how it's been interpreted?
2: Yeah, that is the, the fact that you called it both curse of Canaan and curse of Ham is part of the confusion. Mm. right? Yeah, yeah. Because as the story goes in Genesis 9, Noah gets very intoxicated on the wine he's just invented. He passes out and he passes out naked. So we've all done I mean we've been and, you know you, you drink too much. And exactly. the interesting thing is that wine, side note, but wine in the ancient world had very little alcohol content content. So to drink to that level of intoxication is a whole other story. But by the way, all day he drinking. Out, right. He'd been he
3: he'd really been did.
0: through some traumatic stuff. He'd been through a lot. You really <laughs> he can't had, blame him.
2: All. Yeah. Th- he this, had this a lot to a, celebrate. <laughs> this was a whole bender. So he passes out Ham sees him intoxicated and goes and tells his brothers. So his brothers are like, ooh, dad's naked, bad news. So they walk backwards, kind of cover him up. And then when Noah wakes up, he doesn't curse Ham, he curses Canaan. And so in historical context, the text is probably designed to explain why Israelites and Canaanites were always beefing with each other. Mm. Uh And since Canaan is cursed as you will be a slave to your brothers. It's a way to justify, here's why we were able to conquer their land and subjugate the Canaanites because there was that unfortunate intoxication thing. So the curse is slavery, right? Where it gets tricky is, at least in the early modern period, those who were trying to look for a proof text for slavery read Genesis 10, Through Genesis 9, in which Canaan is one of Ham's children. So that if Ham becomes the one who is cursed, then it applies to all of his children. Back to Cush, right? We don't know exactly what color Cush is, but we know he's on the dark side. (laughs) So that would justify here is a text that is explaining why dark people. Are slaves. Mm.
1: So I don't get it. Though where where is Cush even in the story? He's not right. (laughs) Right. And technically, I mean he's not. And even Canaan is about. I mean he's what? What's he? He's done nothing wrong. He wasn't even
2: looking at the story. Noah. The story is a hot mess, right? Because common (laughs) sense would dictate you would curse the child who saw you naked. Exactly. Noah curses Ham's son, right? (laughs) Who was not involved in this at all. We don't even know where Canaan was. Canaan had never <laughs> even appeared until Genesis 5. We don't know if he was born yet. We don't know anything. It's completely bizarre. <laughs> and and that is why some of the earlier interpreters of the Bible, even as early as maybe you know, 100, 200 CE, were like, well, maybe it was Ham instead because they're mm-hmm. trying to make a text that seems illogical make more sense. Right. And so if you read the text as it's a mistake, it should be Ham who is cursed, which some um again, translations will try to do. Mm. And then Ham had those four kids, Cush, Put, Lud, and Canaan, well then you have slavery of black people.
0: So that's okay, so that's where it, it comes in, is that Ham has four sons. One of them is Cush. Yes. And if by the 1800s, you were, you believe that Cush was shorthand for black people, then you've made it to your biblical justification for slavery. Wonderful. And that was, is that, was that a widespread 19th century? I mean, I don't know what, I guess I don't want to say widespread, but certainly in the American South, was that like looked to as here where this is a biblically authorized practice yes. or something? Oh okay.
2: Often in the list of um proof text that you would get for any pro slavery apologetics, particularly from about eighteen twenty to about eighteen sixty, Genesis nine would be the first thing that would show up. Hmm. And it was always called curse of Ham, never curse of Canaan.
0: Right. Yeah, I would say that if, if I've heard that phrase come up, I I'd only heard it said as the curse of Ham. But like you said, yeah. you go to the text. That is not in the Bible, people.
1: No, but it's a strange really strange thing. Yeah, yes, but so Cush is one yeah, I see. Cush is one of his sons. So it's mm-hmm. that that that's why you have to move it to to Ham. Wow. Wow. Convoluted. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about reading things into the text.
2: <laughs> well, and it's amazing because it's the original attempt to put ham in the story, all those hundreds and hundreds of years ago, was an attempt to make it make sense. Because people say, well, it's not fair, Canaan got messed mm. up and he was just minding his own business off in the corner. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, that's shall we say, secondary reading mm. becomes the primary mm. reading for people who need the text not just to justify slavery, but to justify African slavery. Yeah.
0: yeah. Wow. Well, all right, let's let's go from bad news to to better news. So, <laughs> if we're if we're looking at the the history of how these texts have been interpreted, you know, how have sort of African American Christians or African Christians, or, or I, I want not even just limit it to Christians, but how how have how have people kind of rescued and reinterpreted, you know, the, these texts over time in a more positive light for Black people in the Bible?
2: As soon as. Um... As African-Americans, at least in the U.S., were able to read for themselves, they were like, we are not, t- this is garbage. <laughs> we're done. And so it was a very short, we have read this. We do not think it says what they think it says. We are moving on. And so and so, what the earliest folks, so for example, um, Richard Allen, who was a founder of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, folks like him and David Walker, who was an abolitionist, we're looking more at texts like Psalm 68, interestingly enough, that says that, you know, Cush will, well, the King James Version is Ethiopia will soon stretch forth her hands to God. Mm. And so while in context, it meant you were going to have to pay tribute mm. <laughs> for, nobody cares about context, it's fine. So while in context, it's not a positive verse, for educated Black people who wanted to remain Christian, it was a sign that Black people, too, were part of God's larger family, Mm. that it's sort of, to quote Randall Bailey, like, we were there, Mm -hmm. right? And so Pan-African movements later, like Marcus Garvey, um, Rastafarianism, Mm. Ethiopianism, were actually embracing the presence of Kush as a way to unify people of African descent and say, yes. We have been part of this story from Mm. its earlier days. And so, modern African American biblical scholarship looked at Cush as a way to uncover a black presence in the Bible. And so, the relevance was whether you were actively church going or not, it was a way of taking the Bible kind of out of the hands of the slave masters Mm. and out of the hands of those who were seeing you as inferior and making it in its own way a bit more of the contextual ancient Near Eastern book than it is. Mm. In other words, if the Bible is talking about Cush, then it's like, yeah, there were darker-skinned people in the Bible. And that was a counter to the attempt effectively to whitewash Mm. and make Egyptians white, which was happening ironically at the same time. Uh Yeah.
1: Fascinating. Can we talk about the Queen of Sheba? <laughs> is it, I mean, do we, do we, do people think that Sheba is, is
2: another name for Cush or is, is, is there a connection with her? When I was looking at this, I literally, my response was anything is possible <laughs> because we, and, and I say that because we really don't have clear historical proof one yeah. way or the other. We have archaeological evidence to support the existence of Solomon's kingdom, and shout out to Herschel Shanks because the archaeologists are amazing. Beyond that, we're not sure. And so, because folks are writing after the fact, if you take the more common scholarly view that she was coming from Yemen, that would make her brown. If you take the less common but still existing view, that she was coming from south of Egypt, then she's black. Either way, she's not a white woman. <laughs> 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 and I can't stress that enough because in a lot of art, it's like everybody in the Bible somehow is pale. No mm-hmm. it's disrespect to pale people, but none of these people were pale. <laughs> <laughs> I was yeah,
1: exactly, exactly none of them were none of them were white. But um well apart from the Romans, I guess. But um right. Yeah, I mean I was just looking at some artwork of the and and, and I mean she's represented almost any color possible, isn't she? But maybe it's more more modern ones, more more modern yeah. pictures. Well,
2: I thought it was until I did a little bit more digging and so I want to give a shout out to Gillian Stinchcombe who is currently a postdoc at Princeton. And she did her dissertation on the history of interpretation of the Queen of Sheba. Oh, nice. And it appears to start a little bit with Josephus.
0: Oh, we have to mention like- Josephus in every episode. Thank you.
1: <laughs>
2: he gets into every episode. See, people at
0: home, are, they're playing that. their Josephus drinking game, and now they get to take a shot. There you go. We said it.
2: Well, you know what? I'm here for y'all. Um, <laughs> if, if Noah can have a bender, so can y'all. Sorry. It's 5 o'clock somewhere. And so so Josephus just casually mentions, you know, that the Queen of Sheba came from the south, right? From south mm-hmm. of Egypt. And then origin on the Christian side, in the third century is going to connect the queen of sheba to song of songs one five Uh, i am black and beautiful yeah and so Stinchcombe's point, and she does history of interpretation which is fascinating is that while to your point we are getting more modern images of the queen of sheba being personified as a black woman there were ancient folks who were making the same argument and as one person put it do we really want to argue with josephus no, never. I mean, he, no, nobody <laughs> wants to argue, Joseph. And so, in other words, he could have made her Arab, and he just puts off in a throwaway line like everybody knew she was black. Well, of course she
1: came. He has Africa. no
2: dog in this fight, does he? Yeah, he doesn't no, care. He, like, he doesn't care. Just threw it out there and kept writing, right? Mm, mm. <laughs> like it was. Of course she was black, and so her point, Stinchcombe's, um, Doctor Stinchcombe's larger point is that there's just as much historical exegesis that would say that she was black as there is that would say that she was um from what we now consider to be Yemen. Mm. Arabia, yeah,
1: because Matthew and Luke, I mean, I'm a New Testament person, so I just know okay. the New Testament stuff. But Matthew and Luke both say they call her the Queen of the South, don't they? Which yes. is sort of like a bit vague, and, um, but, but could I suppose could fit either of those interpretations.
2: Yeah, g- geography, I'm learning, <laughs> was not necessarily the biblical writer's
1: strong suit. I don't care. If it's out of Israel, <laughs> but, it's just like out
2: there somewhere yeah. like south. Is is
0: it south <laughs> south of what? <laughs> um well, I I came across there's this, you know, some very rich uh traditions in, in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church about the Queen of Sheba. Did you look into some of that? So that story is fascinating. So there's more to like she, in the Bible she she goes she sees solomon's riches she's very impressed she walks away and that's the last we hear of her but what happens in the ethiopian uh christian tradition
2: yeah and i, I have to give you thanks for that because that was a fun <laughs> a fun rabbit hole to go down because in ethiopian orthodox tradition um the queen of sheba has um, has a child mm. with Solomon, mm. Mm. who is Menelik, <laughs> who basically takes um, the worship of the God of Israel back home to Ethiopia. Mm. And so you have these long histories mm. of Ethiopian Jewish communities and then later as these Jewish communities, some of them become sort of Jewish people for Jesus. Mm. Um, there becomes this larger tradition of those folks being protectors of the Ark.
3: The Ark. I know the, the Ark government. makes its way to
2: Ethiopia. Oh, wow.
1: wow, the yes. Ar- Josephus and the Ark. This is just Joseph- ticking every box.
2: <laughs> and that there are still I mean there's there's a tradition every year where you have in Ethiopian Orthodox churches a celebration of smaller versions of the Ark because hmm. the folks who protect it, nobody sees it. Like it's the monks have been there for thousands of years now. And they're like, we don't even see it. Like, there's yeah. only one person who So it's still there.
0: They've still it. Oh, it's there. <laughs> it. Yeah, nobody's, wow. nobody can see it. But, but it's nobody,
2: like, nobody has seen it. Nobody's and allowed to see they it. Ask, Yeah, they asked someone once, well, how do you know it's there? And they said, because we do. Yeah. Right? So there, there is no, yeah. And it doesn't surprise me that the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, that this will be their tradition. They have always had a much more um, expansive view of canon and of interpretation and of tradition than really almost any other Christian group. Um, the, the canon is technically closed, but not really. <laughs> and so for them, it, it, it makes really perfect sense. And so that tradition is the one that first fully describes the queen of Sheba as African and mm. therefore black,
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and for them, it's like, well, of course she is, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because, well, you know, she met with Solomon and they had a baby and this is where we come from and we know she's black.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh. And is she, I don't know, does does the Queen of Shiva hold any particular prominence like in in the black community or the black Christian community or black Jewish community? I don't know, like do people look to her as, as this is our kind of our heroic figure in the Bible or has it gotten that far?
2: And the the short answer is is no, but the longer answer because when I was thinking about this question, the idea of a black queen is a really strong cultural trope. Um, mm. The first thing that came to mind as thinking about this was um, Tupac Shakur's "Dear Mama," <laughs> right? That you always were a black queen, mm. and that was in the '90s. This idea of of a glorification of black womanhood, blackness is now being associated with the Queen of Sheba in film um Halle Berry has played the Queen of Sheba mm. mm-hmm. um Vivica A Fox has played the Queen of Sheba um Beyonce in her video "Girls Run the world plays the Queen of Sheba it was. <laughs> what was interesting to me was that even in Jewish feminist tradition there's a website that kind of gives Bible stories for you know Jewish women and they're like the first thing they say just matter of fact is the Queen of Sheba was a black woman and she had to beat off Solomon, and that's not fair because there's a rabbinic story in which they kind of have this bet, and she kind of loses it, yeah, yeah. and ends up having to um, have intercourse with, with Solomon. <laughs> oh, so, right. So it's in the Jew- in Jewish tradition as well as the Ethiopic Orthodox. Wow, wow. Yeah, and and the woman did not even bat an eye. She's like, well, of course she was black, right? Mm-hmm. So there are all these stories that are pretty ancient describing the queen of sheba as black and i do think that there's a pretty at least clear line Mm -hmm. in black culture between black queen imagery and sort of like the hashtag black girl magic right Mm. the idea of a woman who is wise who who seeks who not only seeks wisdom but also has her own money you know, she's able to travel with her entourage all the way there oh yeah <laughs> and take her entourage all the way mm-hmm. back right mm-hmm. this idea of financial independence and that it doesn't appear that she is Solomon's inferior mm-hmm. she is there to test him mm-hmm. and they'll go back and forth and she kind of says oh, you are as wise as I've heard I don't <laughs> back home
3: yeah, <laughs> well,
0: yeah. right Well, and and, and I think that that is in. I mean, it's not even implied. It's basically it is there in the story. Like, why else do you have somebody show up and be impressed by his? She has to be somebody, like you said, who is his equal to be to make that story stick. Otherwise, like any schmo off the street would be impressed by Solomon. But like to make it impressive, it has to be the Queen of Sheba, somebody who comes from her own, yeah, her own great a great kingdom yeah that's that's important
1: yeah josephus also says that she brought balsam to uh to um to israel so you know she's kind of bringing these these great gifts and balsam obviously became this massive sort of um export and you know really important crop so yeah she doesn't just go go and come back but you know she gives great she gives things she's a great benefactor to, to to the land too and other other characters then? In I mean, you know, we have talked quite a bit about the Queen of Sheba. Are there are there any other characters who are traditionally seen as as being black in the in the old in the Hebrew Bible?
2: Besides Cush and the Queen of Sheba, um, or even in the every, New
1: Testament, I don't know. Ah, uh, well, you have the eunuch, right? Um, oh, of course, the Ethiopian eunuch. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Um, so he's from Cush too, I suppose.
0: Or Ethiopia. Yeah, I don't, this, different places. Yeah,
2: and no, see this is where translation gets funny, right? Because in Greek it really is kind of Ethiopia, Ethiopia, yeah. Ethiopia. Now it's unclear whether they mean Kushite, because it does say that he's headed south, right? To mm-hmm. to go back to the Khandaki, who is mm-hmm. you know appears to be a political official. So it's possible that in that context it's a Kushite. hmm
1: and of course he's a very early person who takes the yes. takes Christianity, presumably, um, back home with him.
2: And was going and, and it, it would historically it would make sense, right? Because there were Ethiopian Jews Jewish people at the time of Jesus. And of course the story says, I have come, he is gone to worship, right? Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. heading back home. Mm-hmm. So you know, with his lovely scroll. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: great well all right we uh we are at the point in our conversation where we introduce you and open the door to our time machine it is it is a uh, hallowed ground not many people have been in here but every one of our guests <laughs> has a chance to to push the dials so stacy if you had a chance to go anywhere anytime where would it be
2: well I, I really had to think about this uh, because so. the joke is based on if you've ever heard Chris Rock, he's like most um most black people don't want to go past about nineteen seventy five it gets <laughs> ugly, yeah. <laughs> but honestly, if I could, I would probably ironically want to go to Texas in about eighteen forty. Okay. Um, and meet my maternal um great 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 grandmother who oh, no. was enslaved. Mm. And what I'd want to tell her is thank you mm. um, because I am because she was. Sure. Um,
0: oh, that's beautiful. And her name was
2: Annie. So that's Aww. who I would. Oh, that's very who I'd cool. Be. That's lovely.
0: We, oh, we've had a couple of people who wanted to go back and, and yeah. talk to grandparents, and I think that's yeah. very sweet. That's, that's lovely. Didn't
1: you? Wasn't that your
0: And that was one of mine. That's why I also. That's <laughs> why I also parents? think. Yeah, it's yeah.
1: True. That's why you think it's very nice. Yeah, yeah. I wanted because... just to go back to the first century, but you know, <laughs> that's a oh. bit boring. But it's boring because that's what every scholar wants to do. I, I, yeah, I think it's nice to 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 see your family as they were. And...
0: Well, terrific. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for talking with us about the ancient kingdom of Cush and and blackness in the Hebrew Bible. And uh, thank you, Helen. Thank you to our listeners and we'll see everyone on the next episode of Biblical Time Machine. Bye. Bye.
1: If you enjoyed this episode of Biblical Time Machine, consider supporting us by subscribing to our Time Travelers Club. Find out more in the episode description below.